Well, you made it. We're four chapters to go in the book of Acts. Four chapters to go. Some of you never thought this day would come, and yet here we are. Uh, blame Jesse. I thought we had another five years left, but, you know, Pastor Jesse was like, we got to, you know, keep going. So, but an incredible journey. Honored to be up here this morning. My wife, Pastor Mary, did such a good job last week with, with her sermon. She's saving lives over at the ER this morning, but she was talking about Felix, if you remember, Acts 24. Today we're talking about Festus, so we're going to go from Governor Felix to Governor Festus. But how did we get here, right? Uh, how did we get to, before Festus, Acts 25? Well, I found it on the internet. So <laughs> I'm going to read uh, from gotquestions.org. Again, if you can turn me down just a little bit, uh, there's the recap that they give for the last five chapters. They say, the events leading to Paul's meeting with Porches Festus are filled with danger. Right? Absolutely. We've, we've seen that in the last couple of months. Acts 21, Paul returns from a missionary journey. He visits James, who's Jesus' brother, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He pays a fee to the men who had taken a Nazarite vow, Acts 21. Less than a week later, Paul is spotted in the temple. Remember this? By devout Jews, and they condemn his work. But then, because of a misunderstanding, they falsely accuse Paul of bringing a Gentile into the temple. And so they have Paul arrested. Paul gives his defense to the Jews in Acts 22. That's not received well, and the mob turns ugly. The Roman tribune, the commander above a centurion, he protects Paul from the mob. He hurries him into the barracks, orders Paul to be flogged. Paul reveals he's a Roman citizen by birth, Acts 22, which causes the tribune to call off the flogging. The tribune later allows Paul to give his testimony before the Jewish council, including the high priests, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, who all promptly get into a fight about whether Paul is actually guilty of anything. Tempers flare so high, the tribune actually extricates Paul back to the army barracks, Acts 23. The next day, Paul's nephew warns the tribune that 40 men have vowed to murder Paul. So the tribune sends Paul with 200 soldiers as guards to Felix, the governor in Caesarea. The tribune is still curious as to why the Jewish leaders want Paul dead. He requests Felix uncover the truth. The high priests, some elders, a hired spokesman, this is what Mary talked about last week, they arrive in Caesarea five days later to present their case before Felix. But the Jews from Asia, they're absent, and the governor delays the decision until the tribune can arrive or until Paul offers a sufficient bribe. The bribe never comes and Felix leaves Paul in custody for two years. Wow. Acts 24. Festus succeeds Felix as governor. And Paul's pending case is one of his first concerns. So that's how we got to Paul standing before Festus. Now, right away, I want you to think about two numbers. Two numbers, lock them into your head. The first number is this, two. Everybody say two. Two. Acts 24, 27 said, When two years had passed, Felix, would, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. This should be quite the statement for you, church. He is leaving an innocent man in prison for two years. Two years is a long time. Two years ago, that would be the fall of 2020. Has a lot happened since the fall of 2020. And yet here is Paul in prison for that amount of time. And now here comes the new governor, Festus. And look right here at the beginning of chapter 25. Here's a num another number I want you to notice. Everyone say the number three. 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 Five of you said that. That was awesome. 
Acts 25, three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests, the Jewish leaders, appear before him and present their charges against Paul. See, there is such a passionate hatred toward this man that, have you noticed, time does not diminish their hate. I've noticed that in life. Evil is evil. And two years ain't nothing. And so these leaders, their passion is stirred. Their passion, it is as hot as ever to what? To rid Paul from the earth. So much so that even though, again, think about this. Even though Paul has been in prison for two years, within three days, within three days of the new governor coming into town, they are ready to bring their charges against Paul. Again, just ponder that for a moment. So they throw out this idea to Festus, verse 3. They say, well, why don't you do us a favor and let's transfer Paul from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Now, the Bible tells us that he was never going to make it to Jerusalem, right? There's a plot to ambush him, to kill him on the way. And that's almost identical to what they planned two chapters before this in Acts 23. They want Paul dead. Festus answers verse 4. He says, well, Paul is being held at Caesarea. I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me. If the man's done anything wrong, they can press charges against him there. Now, after spending eight or ten days with them, Festus went down to Caesarea. Like that one got me this week. Like he spent eight or ten days with these people who hated Paul. I mean, can you imagine? Have you ever spent like an hour with someone with that kind of hate? But like eight or ten days spending that amount of time with these leaders trying to convince Festus of Paul's guilt. But now they make it to Caesarea. The court's convened. And they bring these charges against Paul. Verse 7. Now they can't prove any of these charges. Verse 8. Paul makes his defense. And again, it's obvious Paul is an innocent man. They bring the charges. Paul makes his defense. The guy's innocent. Felix knew this. Festus knows this. But then look what verse 9 tells us. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Are you willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial before me on these charges? Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor. This is almost identical to the verse I already read in Acts 24 where Felix, do you remember, right? Felix left Paul in prison. Why? Because he wanted to grant them a favor. Felix leaves Paul in prison as a favor to the Jewish leaders. Festus is trying to transfer Paul as a favor to the Jewish leaders. You know what this is, right? This is politics. This is politics. I mean, right? These are governors from Rome, and they're in there govern, you know, governing this region. Now, for a lot of Jewish people, you've, you've read the Gospels, right? Jew, uh, Rome is the oppressor. They don't want them there. They're not happy to have them there. In many ways, they have been mistreated. They've been oppressed. In fact, some of them, the ones that don't believe in Jesus, they're still waiting for Messiah to come on in and kick them out. And so these governors sent by Rome, Felix and now Festus, as you can imagine, they might have some political motivations here, right? They want to keep the peace. This is in the middle of Pax Romana, right? They're trying to avoid any rebellions or uprisings. It's obvious Paul is innocent. I mean, I want that to be clear today. It's so obvious he is innocent. But to keep their standing as governor, they both do some things, right? They, They try to do some favors for these 
leaders. First Felix by keeping Paul in prison, then Festus within three days hearing the case and saying, let's transfer him to Jerusalem. Isn't it interesting to be reading these scriptures right before our own midterm elections? I've been watching the news. They are motivated, aren't they? I mean, whatever side, pick your poison, good or bad. I mean, they, they are motivated and willing to say and do just about anything to get my vote. Moving on. <laughs> Paul says this. He goes, I'm standing. I love it. He goes, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. Kind of say, I don't need to go to Jerusalem. You're here. I'm here. We're in Caesarea. We're in Caesar's court. Try me now. I have done nothing wrong to the Jews. As you yourself know very well. He's calling them out, isn't he? I love it. He says, but if, however, I'm guilty of doing anything that deserves death, I, I don't refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true... No one has the right to hand me over to them. He's appealing to his Roman citizenship here. He says, I appeal to Caesar. So Festus confers with the council. He says, well, you've appealed to Caesar. To Caesar, you will go. A few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice, they arrive at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Since they're spending many days there, Festus discusses Paul's case with the king. I love it. He's like, there's a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests, the elders of the Jews, they brought these charges against him, asked that he be condemned. I told them it's not Roman custom to hand over anyone before they face their accusers and have that opportunity to defend themselves against the charges. When they came here with me, I did not delay the case, but I convened the court the next day and ordered the man to be brought in. Remember, he's talking right now to King Agrippa, and he's explaining what's going on. In verse 18, he says, When the accusers got up to speak... They didn't charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute about their own religion, about a dead man named Jesus, who Paul claimed was alive. I love it. He goes, I was at a loss how to investigate such matters. So I asked asked if he'd be willing to go to Jerusalem, stand charges on those, or stand trial on those charges. But when Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, I ordered him held until I could send him to Caesar. So Agrippa says, I'd like to hear this man for myself. And he says, tomorrow you will hear him. That's what we'll talk about next week when Paul goes before King Agrippa. But what a journey, huh? What a, I, man, I've enjoyed the book of Acts, church. I really have. But what a journey Paul has been on. False accusations, false imprisonments, various trials. I was thinking this week, it's so healthy to read Paul as someone living in 2022, to read all this because Scripture, once again, is reminding us that following Jesus, being a Christian, giving up everything to live and to serve Jesus, like Paul is doing. Church, listen, it's costly. Following Jesus is costly. It's going to cost you something. For 2,000 years following Jesus, for millions of disciples... It has meant losing something, losing close relationships or losing a job or losing wealth or possessions, maybe even losing your very life. And for Paul, remember Paul, and again, it's so good to read the book of Acts, to read Scripture, because remember Paul, uh, by the standards of this world, before Jesus, he had a lot going on for him. Do you remember that? I mean, Paul, he's the Pharisee of Pharisees. That's what he calls himself. He's a religious leader with power and a religious leader with influence. He's zealously persecuting Christians. He even is the one standing, giving approval of the murder of Stephen. Again, power 
and influence. And yet on that road to Damascus, he has such a radical encounter with Jesus, he gives it all up. He says this in Philippians 3, that he counts it all as nothing. He counts it as loss. He says it's garbage, all of it, garbage compared to knowing Christ. And so this position, power, convenience, comfort, all of it, he lays it down. In many ways, you can think of it this way. He goes from being the one who is persecuting to being the one who is persecuted. The persecutor to the persecuted. Before, I've read that long list that Paul describes of all the hard things and dangers he faced as a Christian. I won't read that list again. It's, it's pretty long. It's pretty intense as well. But he says this while boasting about his sufferings in 2 Corinthians 11. He says he was exposed to death again and again. There's always a part of me when I read Paul... I'm just like, Paul, just go a different way. <laughs> just go, like, you know, Acts 14 and Lystra, when they drag him out of the city, they think they've finished the assignment. Man, this guy is dead. Like, he's not just dead, he's dead dead. And so they leave him for dead, and yet he gets back up. And where does he go? Back into the city. I'm like, Paul, what are you thinking? You, you, you know, they just saved your life. Get out of there. Save yourself. And over the past two months, in this book of Acts, we're reading scriptures about people who love Paul, who have a heart for Paul. And they're telling him, Paul, don't go, right? We've covered that, right? Don't go to Jerusalem. Remember the prophet Agabus, he takes Paul's belt, he ties his own hands and his feet with it. He says, the Holy Spirit, in this way, the Jewish, uh, or in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. That's what the Holy Spirit is saying. And so when we heard this, Luke is writing, he says, when we heard this, we and all the people there were like pleading with Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. And yet Paul answers, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And this truth is so important in regards to today's passage. You've got to hear this. Paul is not naively walking into this trial before Festus. He's not standing before these powerful men by accident. He knows what he's doing. He's counted the cost. This is the same man who says in Acts 20, he says, The Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city, imprisonment and persecutions are waiting for me. Every city, the Holy Spirit has told me, prison persecutions are waiting for me. And though that is extremely unfair, and though that is extremely unjust, he is resolute in moving forward. Also, it's important to note that Paul isn't just a glutton for punishment. He's not just doing this like he's just looking for trouble. Looking for trouble. That is not his passion or his purpose. His passion and purpose is Jesus. It's following Jesus. His purpose and passion is to fulfill his assignment, to endure in the faith, to obey the Lord at all costs, even in the midst of danger and trouble. But what about us? Like, that's what I was wrestling with this week. What about us? What's your purpose? What's your passion? Oh, did we lose me? Let's try a... Oh, there I am. I'm back. I'm back. Ah. Do you want me to use the handheld, Braden? We're, we're good? Okay. This will just break it. Break the glass in case of the emergency. We'll be right here. 
But what about us? I, I was thinking about this week. What about me? I hope you're not looking for trouble. Like, there's enough trouble. We don't need to be looking for it. I hope you're not even trying to stir up trouble. Again, there's enough trouble. But I will say this. I hope your passion and purpose is to follow Jesus, even if following Jesus leads you in to trouble. Again, we must count the cost. I got three points today. That's the first one. If you want to follow Jesus, you got to count the cost. Write that one down. No getting around it. Following Jesus is costly. I get it. There's a version of Christianity out there that's floating around where you, it doesn't cost you anything. But I'm just telling you, if somebody's selling you that, don't buy it. It ain't the real thing. Following Jesus is costly, but it's worth it. Follow, I mean, how awesome is it to follow Jesus? We sang here not because someone forced us to sing. We sang because Jesus is awesome. How awesome it is to share the good news of Jesus with a lost and broken world. How good it is to share with our neighbors, share with our coworkers, share with our classmates, to help people experience the hope, the joy, the life, the love that is found in Jesus. It is worth it. And then, of course, I was even thinking this week, having the peace. Anyone have peace with God through Jesus? Oh, to have that peace, but also to have the assurance that knowing my sins are forgiven, but also the assurance that I will spend eternity with my Lord forever and ever. It is worth the cost. Can we get an amen this morning, church? So you want to follow Jesus, you've got to count the cost. Point two, you want to follow Jesus? Like Paul, you've got to run your race. Paul is faithful to run his race. Speaking of running, I was, oh man, I was at my niece's race, a cross-country race yesterday. Uh, this is, she's a sophomore at Auburn Riverside High School. As a freshman, she won the 800 meter in track at state, like best in the state. But this is yesterday. It was just sub-district, so it's like you've got to qualify from sub-districts to, dis- to get to districts. But I want to just show you this video real quick. So this is her, Julia. She's in first. All right. Okay, so she's in first. So it's a real close race. Oh, man. I feel it coming. Oh, I mean, this is a race, church. I mean, there's a lot of kids. There's like 100 kids running. I'm going to have you go ahead and stop that video. They don't. The second place doesn't come for another two minutes. Oh, my goodness. Julia is fast. Come on. But church, though, not all of us can physically run. Just watching those kids run made me tired. Like, oh my goodness. Though we all cannot physically run, every one of us in the name of Jesus is meant to spiritually run. I believe that. You have a race to run with Christ, just like Paul. You know, one of my great joys as a pastor, and I love being a pastor is I get to help people run their race. I get to come alongside. I just got to fan the flame, encourage people, pray for people. Like, you can do this even when it feels hard, when it feels impossible, when you feel like quitting. You can do this. You can do this. Endure and persevere. Trust and believe in Jesus. By the way, that's not just the pastor's job. That's all of our jobs. I hope you're doing that for each other. In fact, don't leave this room without encouraging somebody in the Lord. But I remember the McIntyres, and I love the McIntyres. They just made it back to Kenya, missionaries over there. When they were first thinking about being missionaries, this is years ago. This is before they made it to Papua New Guinea. And they're meeting with me several times. And then before they leave, they get up on a stage like this, uh, two miles that way in our old location. And she shares this. I'll never forget it. She said, don't talk to Pastor Dan, because he'll give you a parachute and throw you off the cliff. <laughs> 
And then she says, and then every once in a while he'll go. (laughs) But it's true. Like being a missionary is dangerous. It's a jump off the cliff. Let's be very clear about this. It takes a whole lot of faith. It takes radical faith to jump. When we send anyone anywhere, like Jacob Ayers, for nine months, as a 20-year-old man, nine months in Ghana, West Africa by himself, there's no promise of that going well. But when I think about our missionaries, the McIntyres in Kenya, Rebecca McGonigal in Costa Rica, Karen Grubbs in Uganda and South Sudan, the Norcrosses in Hawaii, the Moors at the University of Utah, and all of our friends all over this world, I know this. I have a confidence in them that they are doing what the Lord has called them to do. And there's a cost to it all, but they're running their race. And you've got to run your race. And only you can run your race. I can't run your race. Also, don't try to run my race. Don't run the Apostle Paul's race. Don't run the McIntyre's race. Be faithful to run your race. Hallelujah. Count the cost and go. And yes, Jesus promises us trouble, but he also says, take heart, because you've got the one who overcomes the world, the one who has conquered sin and death on your side. You got Jesus. So count the cost and run, run. The author of Hebrews says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith for the joy. This is so rich, church, for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. He scorned its shame and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now consider him, consider Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that what? You will not grow weary and you will not lose heart. We got to get this one settled. Commit to this one life spring that Jesus has done it. He's done it. It's finished. The victory is yours in Christ. And now consider him. Consider it like consider all that he is, all that he said, all that he's done. Consider him and run your race and you will not grow weary or lose heart. Praise the Lord. Point number three is this. Never give up. Count, your co- count the costs, run your race, and never give up. I think as a Christian, it's normal to consider Paul's life and kind of just be like, you know, could I even do that? You ever wonder, you ever wonder that? I've wondered that. Like, could I even do that? When Stephen is being stoned, anyone else? Like, could I even do that? We've got to remember, on his own, Paul couldn't do that. Paul was a man just like any of us. He didn't have a virgin birth. That's not Paul. That's Jesus. This is Paul. Paul is a man. But because of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he could do all that God had called him to do. And that's true for Paul, but that's true for you too, church. The Lord is going to give you what you need to do what he's calling you to do. One of the first verses I memorized, 2 Peter 1, 3, by his divine power, God has given us what? Everything. He's given us what? He's given us everything. Everything we need. You're not lacking. You're not leaving this building lacking. You got all the tools in your toolbox. He's given you by His divine power, living inside of you. He's given you everything you need to live a godly life for Him. Again, Paul was human just like the rest of us. He had some weaknesses. Weaknesses, by the way, that are a part of being human. Don't be embarrassed or ashamed of your weaknesses. We all got them. 
But this is what the Lord Jesus tells Paul. He says, Paul, listen up. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in weakness. He goes on to say, the power of Christ rests on him. Where? Right there in his weaknesses. So much so that he, he's able to write, when I am weak, I am strong. Say that with me. When I am weak, I am strong. There's a man in Philippians 4. He tells us he's learned to be content whatever the circumstances. He's learned the secret of being content in every and any situation or circumstance. He says, whether well-fed or hungry, plenty or want, he goes, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Like, I can do this. Some of you just need to whisper that to yourself. I can do this. On my own, I can't do this. But with Jesus who gives me strength, I can do this. Some of you just need to get in the car on the way home and say, I can do this. Yeah, on my own, I'm freaking out and I can't do this. But I got Jesus on my side and Jesus is my strength. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. Some of you are going through it. And, and I'm a feeler. I'm emotional. And it just breaks my heart. I love you. I don't want anyone to go through anything hard. I, I mean, I love you. I, I care about you. I want good things for you. But we all have seasons, right? There's seasons to life. And maybe you're in a season where it all feels like it's just too much. But again, that's why we're here. Because in the season where it feels like it's too much, when you feel so discouraged and broken, that's where Jesus comes in. He doesn't just come in, but that's where Jesus shines. Like he does his best work. That's where he receives the glory in your life, right there. And again, if you're feeling that way today, just allow the Lord by his grace and his mercy and his love and his kindness, just come into that room with you and say, I got you and you can do this by my strength, says the Lord. And then also may we find comfort in this. I'll finish with this. Worship team, you can come on up. Again, I don't know what you're going through, but whatever it is, may you be encouraged this morning that this is not the end and the story is not over. This is not the end. Our life group on Wednesday nights, which is so good, and the food has been delicious. Good job, life group. You have done well. Just such a holy part of our life group has been the food. But we read Thessalonians on Wednesday. First and second Thessalonians, as you know, letters that were written to a heavily persecuted church. And they're wrestling through the things that the persecuted church right now, by the way, I don't know if you know that in so many countries, there are Christians that are being heavily persecuted for their faith. I was just reading an article on Forbes.com about the persecuted church right now, right here in 20. 22, uh, all over this world. But they're wrestling through fears and anxiety. But he encourages them in Jesus, doesn't he? He encourages them that Jesus is coming back. He encourages them, again, an oppressed people, that Jesus is the perfect, righteous judge who is coming back again for his people. And I think this is a powerful truth to remember that it's a new birth into a living hope. That's what Peter says, a new birth into a living hope where as Christ followers, we don't just have confidence in the Lord's ability to help us in the here and now. And praise the Lord for that. I mean, I am a walking miracle. The Lord has come through again and again and again. I mean, the miracles that the Lord has done in my life. And as much as I have confidence in the wonder-working power of God, I have even greater confidence in the Lord's ability when all is said and done to faithfully bring me home. 
American Christian Sunday, we just struggle with this stuff. We, we really like earth and we really like what we got going. But our great hope, our living hope, is resurrection and life eternal with the Lord. As Paul himself says, he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. It's an eternal perspective that many of us have abandoned or forgotten. But I close with this passage from 2 Corinthians. He says, this is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying. You can fight it all you want, but our bodies are dying. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. That's hilarious because he says his troubles are small. Paul is going through more troubles than I will ever imagine. And yet look at that. Look at, look at his perspective. He says the present troubles are small, won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, life spring, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. We never give up, church, because we are living for things eternal, things that will last forever. And again, I know some of you are going through it right now. I mean, it's never been harder. But in the midst of it all, don't forget this truth. Hold on to hope. Hold on to Jesus. Fight the good fight of faith. Finish the race. And keep the faith. Would you bow your heads? I want to pray over us. And as I pray, I'm actually going to read something a dear friend of ours, Pastor Lucy Costa, wrote the other day. She wrote this two days after the anniversary of her husband's death. Her husband, Aldo, died very young. But two days after the anniversary of his death, this is what she wrote. I think some of you might need to hear this today. I just speak this prophetically over you this morning. She writes, run, run with endurance this race of life, of faith with Christ. Don't quit, focus, don't get distracted. Don't start whining or complaining. That takes up way too much energy and much needed breath. Don't look behind you, press through. Keep your eyes on the goal. Do your best in spite of, even when it hurts, even when it doesn't seem fair, even when no one is cheering you on, run with endurance. Finish well. She says, you can do this. You will do this with God's strength. He is for you and not against you. In parentheses, she says, someone needs to hear this today. He is for you and not against you. Come on now. Just a bit more, right to the finish line. Run. Lord, we thank you for your spirit and your presence in this room today. It's so encouraging to know we are not facing life alone, but we have you and we have each other. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit. And thank you for this body that is so full of your spirit. We are comforted by you today and as we're praying for anyone here who just needs again that comfort of the Lord the encouragement of the spirit be open the Lord is here and he is willing to move in your heart and in your mind today so Lord just even now the ministry of your spirit do that work do that work 
I also felt so compelled again as all heads bowed and eyes closed. I, I felt so compelled that I was to offer somebody in this room the opportunity to just in this moment say yes to Jesus. To say yes to the Lord. The Lord doesn't condemn you today. He wants to save you. He loves you. When he made you, he stepped back and said, it is good. He loves you. And he wants to save you. All all you got to do is you got to repent of your sins. Turn and follow Jesus. That's what those boys on the fishing boat did. That's what so many people have done for 2,000 years. They left their old way of living. And they chose to live for Jesus. You choose to live for Jesus. The great thing about Jesus, he'll forgive you of all your sins. All that you've ever done. Forgiven in the name of Jesus. Not only will he forgive your sins, he'll take away your sins. And he'll give you eternal life. Eternal life that begins right now. Forever and ever with the Lord. So again, as we're praying, if there's anyone that wants to make that commitment, maybe I'll just say take a step of faith. I'm not going to make you come up forward or anything like that. But maybe the step of faith would be just to raise your hand high so that I can see you and agree with you. And we could pray together. In fact, we would all pray together with you because we want to encourage you today. So if that's you, if you want to give your life to Jesus this morning and, and live with him forever and ever, just raise your hand real high so I can see. their hand that means this is a saved house that means this place is awesome come on this is a place where the spirit of god dwells and moves so holy spirit activate us activate us right now lord that we would leave here alive and awake that we would not be stuck and paralyzed by the things and circumstances of this world but we'd be set free unleash and unloose our mouths lord unleash us lord for your kingdom Show us what it means, Lord, to reach this world with your love, with your grace, your compassion, your kindness, your mercy, your life, your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, church. Would you stand with us and let's sing this together. Hallelujah.